This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in Melbourne's CBD. Today's big question, is God relevant today? My guest is Anthony B. Anthony is Melbourne born and bred and works in the construction industry. He loves soccer, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Hawthorne. And he joins me now. Please welcome Anthony B. <laughs> Anthony, welcome to Bigger Questions. How you going? I'm going well. You work in construction, but is it fair to say that you actually like destroying things? Uh, that would be correct, yeah. Yeah. So what do, what do you do? Like you actually... Yeah, yeah, so swing sledgehammer. So I do demolition, yep. um, asbestos removal yep. is the area we specialise in mainly, mm-hmm. um, which is yeah, breaking stuff and, and that. So it's, it's pretty fun, yeah. Is that yeah. fun when you're angry? Yeah, even yeah. when you're happy. Even <laughs> time, it's just fun to break things. If you're a man, you break things. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Anyway, well, to kick off bigger questions, we like to ask a couple of smaller questions. We do try to have a bit of fun on the show. Today, we're talking with Anthony B about if God is relevant today. So, Anthony, our smaller questions to you today are, how well do you know useless things? There's two questions, both multiple choice. Now, question one. The useless box is described as one of the most useless inventions ever made. It's a DIY electronics kit which becomes a plain black box with a switch on top to open it. Now, when you turn it on... A motorised arm immediately turns the switch back so that this box shuts again. The box has only one function. Turn it on and it turns itself off. It's described as one of the silliest electronic kits ever. Okay? Now you can purchase this kit from the ThinkGeek website. How much is the useless box kit? Is it A, $9.99, B, $19.99, C, $39.99 or D, Ninety nine, ninety nine. I'm gonna go with D. Well, I appreciate your moving to the extremes. The actual answer is C. It's actually only thirty nine, ninety nine. But so you'd spend a hundred bucks on a useless box? No, but I think people would. Yeah. <laughs> well, would you spend forty bucks on a useless box? No. No. Well, people do. Apparently, you can actually buy it. Um, do you think that? Can you think of anyone who would use or could use a useless box? Um, I think I reckon my oldest kid would have a lot of fun with that. Yeah. For yeah. how long? Uh, probably five minutes, really. But, but, <laughs> so it's yeah. so useful, useless, yeah. But anyway, question two. In August 2016, newspapers were reporting on what was claimed to be the most useless job in the world. What was the job they were referring to? Was it A, pet psychic? B, a lifeguard at the Olympic swimming finals? C, bathroom attendant? Or D, a political and finance experts on 24-hour news networks? I'll go with B. You go with B? Yeah. Well, the answer is actually B. Um, one, obser- one, observer- <laughs> one observer wrote, surely a lifeguard at the Olympic pool is the most redundant job in history. Uh, I can, you can imagine, you know, Michael Phelps has only won, what, 23 gold medals. And uh, yeah, oh yeah, I need the help of a, a lifeguard to get me out. Um, yeah. You can't think of any other useless jobs? Or maybe you shouldn't say. No, I probably shouldn't say. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Anthony, congratulations. You've got one out of two of our smaller questions right. You passed. You've been confirmed as somewhat of an expert in useless things. A big round of applause for Anthony. Thank you. Now, Anthony, we've talked about some useless things uh, and useless jobs. 
What about God? Was God something that you thought was irrelevant and useless? Uh, for myself, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, absolutely. For other people, I could see, could see to other people God may be relevant to them, but I could never see how God could be relevant to me for quite a uh, period of my life. Yeah. yeah, okay. Well, perhaps, that, well, obviously you don't believe that anymore. Correct. Maybe you could tell us what changed. Maybe start about what you thought about God when you were growing up. Okay, yeah. I grew up as a young kid believing in God. My mum believed in God. Uh, my dad kind of believed in God when it suited him. You know, so one minute he did, next minute he wouldn't. Um, so I believed in God, but I, I had a bit of a warped perception of God. You know, I was quite, it was sort of like a, a God with a ruler that was going to hit you on the head when you did something wrong, sort of picture of God. And um, whenever I asked questions as a kid, you know, to my mom or to people, you know, about God, I could never really get answers, you know, they could never really give me any logical answers, so... You needed a show like this. Yeah, yeah pretty much. <laughs> so, yeah. Pretty much. So you asked a lot yeah. of questions, yeah. but you never got answers. So you, no, this, no. Was, this was going, growing all the way up from primary school and high school? There were moments, even at a very young age, I would question whether there's a God, and then I'd kind of look at the earth, look at the planet, look at things, and think there's got to be, there's got to be something, you know, how can all this come out of, out of nothing or without any purpose? Um, but, you know, I remember in grade four going to my teacher and, and asking my teacher in grade four, um, you know, how do we know God's really real? Um, how do we know Jesus walked on water and that stuff? Because that stuff sounded crazy to me even as a young kid. And she'd say, oh, because the Bible says it. And I'd say, well, how do you know the Bible's true? You know, and it was sort of the answer always, oh, I just is, you know, well, you just got to believe, you just got to have faith. And, and it was okay at that age, I kind of accepted it then. But, um, yeah, as time got on, it got harder to sort of, wasn't, wasn't enough, you know. Couldn't yeah. answer those questions, yeah. So then you grew up and you went to, you joined the army yep. at age 19. Yep. What happened then? All right, so I got in the army. Um, I was around a lot of other people. Yeah, they didn't believe in God. I remember being in a room where everyone else, no one else believed in God except for me. And when I got asked the question, why do you believe in God? I couldn't really give an answer, you know. It was like... Well, saying because my mom said wasn't really relevant, you know, an answer, or, or because it makes me feel a bit better, or you know, I just, I don't know, I, I couldn't really answer the question. I thought, why do I really believe believe in God, you know? And, and I remember one of them asking, making a point that Jesus didn't even exist as a person, you know, and and I didn't buy that at that time. Like I thought, no, nah, he had to have existed. There's a lot, like there's so much about this person. He's done so much around the world, and he had to be a person. But whether he was God or not, I didn't know. And and then I started becoming an agnostic. I just wasn't sure anymore, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And was there around this time that you started drinking? Yeah, as well. Yeah. So I got introduced to alcohol when I was there. Um, drank for the first time, and yeah, something just came over me. There was. I always felt different to everybody else. There's always something about me that just didn't feel quite right. Something was missing in me. And when I had alcohol, that, that, that missing, that hole that I call the hole of the soul now, just got filled up, you know? And I just felt invincible. I felt tough. I felt like I was the best looking man on the planet, the strongest. Um, and I, I, I found myself, you know? And I just couldn't wait to get drunk again, you yeah. know? So I became a, a repetitive thing each weekend. Just get hammered, just get drunk, go out to nightclubs, pick up as many girls as I could, get in all these all sorts of trouble, um, and it was fun. It was really, really fun at yeah. that time for a while. And so, did that conflict with your beliefs? You sort of claimed to believe in God. Was there yeah, a conflict? Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. I, I started realizing well, my morals changed. You know, like I was doing things under the influence of alcohol. I was couldn't even remember half the stuff I was doing too, and. I don't know whether it was to deal with guilt or not, because I just didn't feel any guilt for what I was doing. My morals went from, from even trying to be good, I just didn't bother anymore. It's just, it was all about getting as much as I could out of life, and, and it put me in a real dangerous position. Um, reason being why it got so dangerous for me was because 
I kind of started coming to the conclusion as an agnostic going towards atheists, is there even really a right or wrong? Like, does it really matter whether you're Adolf Hitler or Mother Teresa? You know, like, it, it makes no difference if there's no God. So what do I care? What do I do? You know, and, I, and not to say that everybody that, that was an atheist and agnostic acted that way, but I just couldn't understand why you wouldn't want to just get the most that you can out of life and step on people. Like, why not? Like, what does it matter? And so how... Give us an example of how you got into trouble. Like... Um, uh, what was oh, something, something that you did which was pretty... Yeah, many stories, but one in particular was pretty bad. I just remember my dad being really upset about it, and that was... Because I was 19 at this point, 20. Yeah, drink driving, and the police went to pull me over, and I kept driving. So I, I tried to outrun the cops and ended up in a dead end, and, yeah, got arrested. There was assault. Um, uh, I got in a lot of trouble. Um, and stuff like this was pretty regular. I was getting put in lock up, lock up a fair bit. Right. Um, I don't know how I didn't do hard time, to be honest. Like, there's a lot of stuff I did I, I don't understand. I look back now, I realise something must have been looking after me because yeah. I just got away with so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then you also, at that point, you, you decided to go overseas. Yeah, well, basically what had happened, I was gotten, gotten so much trouble, my way to deal with it was just leave. Um, so I left my dad to deal with all the, all the problems and... <laughs> And I, I took off and went to Malta. I went to live in Malta because my dad was planning to move there. Um, and I got a job as a bouncer um, and, and security, which I got paid money to get drunk and fight. And it was awesome. Like, it was just, <laughs> this is great. You know, it was really, really good. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So what, what was your experience of the church at that particular uh, point there? Yeah, it wasn't good. Um, so you're obviously fairly much an atheist by this point. This point, I, if I had any faith at all, it was, yeah, very, very, very little. And... Um, yeah, at that point when I got there, the church was very had a lot of power over it, and it still does in Malta. I think it's the only country left that you can't divorce in, to right. believe it or not. Yeah, so it's quite powerful. I'm not saying it's all bad, but it's, it's a powerful church, and um, I just saw a lot of people that I knew, a lot of friends I knew that were doing criminal activities, but they're going to church on Sundays, um, and then they'd come out of church during the week. And they'll be continuing the criminal activities, but they all thought they're going to heaven when you spoke to them, and it just didn't make any sense to me. It's like it's just so hypocritical, you know, yeah. it, just, it just can't work this way. And then um, when I met my, my wife, um, one of the rules her mum had was I had to go to church with them, you know, right. so I was forced to go there. Um, otherwise, I, yeah, I wasn't allowed to go out with her, you right. know. And so I was forced to go to church, listening to a sermon that barely made any sense. I couldn't make sense of it. Um, and just looking at all these hypocrites around me, you know, and it just, yeah. So God seems pretty irrelevant. Ah, oh, yeah, very, very, it, it seems stupid. Yeah. It really did, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, so you met your wife at this point, yeah. and she was worth going to church for. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, but what happened, what happened there? Yeah, basically, yeah, we got married. Um, but prior to getting married, I had a friend of mine who's an actor, lived in England, and I was working in a, in a gym at that time, made friends with him, and he put me on to Ricky Gervais, who's a comedian. And I watched one of his discs, um, and he really just mocked the Bible. You know, this really made it sound really stupid. And... When I watched it, it kind of made me realise, well, this is really in there, this must be stupid, you know? And then we went to get married and my wife said, oh, you have to go through this long process and we had to get interviewed by the priest and um, he'll have to qu- question you. So I got questioned by, by the priest and there was something that, he, that he'd asked, it just didn't sit right with me and when I questioned it, he just could not give me an answer, you know? When I said, it doesn't make sense, um, this doesn't seem right, he just couldn't give me an answer. And my wife kind of pulled me aside and said, look, if you want to get married, you just have to agree with him, you know? And then I think that was it for me. It was like, fine, I'll agree with him, but I'm not going to church again. That's it. <laughs> I've had enough. I'm sick of the hip- hypocrisy, you know? Like I say, so we got married, come, come uh, from Malta to Australia. Yep. Um, and 
Yeah, another big point. So what was happening with your drinking at this point? Uh, okay, yeah, sorry. By this point, my drinking was, was, was getting worse and worse. Um, wasn't really working anymore. That hole that was being filled just wasn't, wasn't, quite, wasn't quite working. Um, but I didn't know what else to really do with my life. You know, this is all I knew. And, and again, I'd sit there and kind of philosophize with myself, like, what's the point of everything? Um, and, and I guess I just poured myself another drink. And it was a way of not thinking about the bigger questions. It was a way of not wanting to deal with the things I was doing bad. Um, but then at one point during this, this period, and I tried to stop drinking a lot of times, and I just couldn't do it. I could not do it. I, I tried so hard with my own willpower to stop and never, could never stop. Um, I know I sat on the couch one time and, I don't know, the, this guilt just came over me out of nowhere. It just hit me like a baseball bat, you know, all the things I'd been doing, the fights that I was having with, with my wife, and they were getting, at times, were getting violent, you know. Um, I'd smash up the entire house. I put my foot through a glass um, coffee table once, um, smash the house. This is in front of my, my younger kid as well. Um, just out of control, leave the house, wouldn't come home for two days, come back, and I'd wonder what her problem was, you know. So just this vicious cycle, the more I drink, the more she tried to control me. The more she tried to control me, the more I drink, because I didn't want to be controlled. And I just couldn't, none, none of us could see the problem, you know, but it was just going around in circles. Um, but yeah, I sat on the couch and this guilt hit me, and something came over me and I just realised, what if there's an, a right or wrong? What if there's an objective right or wrong? And where would I be going? You know, like, and it just came real to me. All of a sudden, the, that realisation came real. And, and I'd already been looking into things. I read an article by Gary Ablett, mm -hmm. uh, seen it was in the newspaper years ago, and he'd wrote about um, the mathematical odds of the universe and how, how, how it came and all that kind of stuff. And, and I remember hearing it from, from other people before but never really looked into it. So I did a bit of a study, and once I read into it, I realised, man, how have I taken naturalism so literally so quickly? without even looking into other things. Why have I accepted that there is no God? How do I even know there is no God? Why am I living like there's not one? I don't know. So it started from there. Really. Yeah. yeah. Then one day you were parked in a school car park yes. and you saw yeah. people going to church. Yeah. How did you react? Yeah, so we're at church. We're sitting in a car park once and I believe, getting my child baptized, my wife was still a believer. I was and I mocked her constantly. So we never talked about it much. And I was sitting there and all these people were walking into church. And at this point, I was already starting to question myself, you know. And I made the comment, look at these idiots, like, look at them wasting their time. And my wife never would normally say anything back. And she just said to me, well, maybe you're the idiot. And maybe they're the ones that are doing the right thing. And, and I, I was looking at myself and I was sitting in a car. I had a cigarette in my hand with my kids in the car because I couldn't care less about anyone but myself. My fingers were yellow. Um, I had a bad hangover, massive headache. I couldn't even remember the night before. And then all these people with smiles on their faces walking into this church, you know, and... I couldn't help but to resonate a little bit with what she said. <laughs> so what did you do? I actually, yeah, started researching a bit more. My drinking got even worse. Uh, the last night I'd gotten drunk, um, I basically got really, really drunk. But I, this time I really promised myself to use all, my, all the power that I had just to have six beers. Um, and my brother-in-law came over from Malta and, and he came over at 12. I hadn't seen him for years. By 3 o'clock I was in blackout. I couldn't remember anything. Um, I hurled empty bottles in my neighbour's house, couldn't even remember that, um, smashed, smashed bottles everywhere, um, took off, come home at very late in the morning, wake up in bed, and I don't know, something, I, I got up in the morning and I couldn't even look myself in the mirror, and I was just so disgusted with myself when she told me what had happened, and 
Um, and, and I'd realised my neighbour had a young infant that was living in a house and a bottle could have easily went through the window and smashed and, and, and killed their child. Like, and it kind of res resonated to me, how long am I going to keep getting away with doing things? You know? um, and I kind of spoke to God. Like, I just sort of said, God, if you're real, if you're there, um, I said, I can't go to a church. I just, I can't, you know, just uh, show yourself to me. Show me where I've got to go. What do I need to do? Um, so I spoke to God for the first time in years. Um, and I ended up on a job very quickly, uh, very soon after that, with a guy who was working there. And he, used, he was talking to me about how much he used to drink in, in a past tense. And it was more than I drank, but he didn't drink anymore. I was like, well, how on earth do you stop? You can't just stop. I've tried everything to stop, you know. Um, and he mentioned AA. He goes, I, I go to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm a good friend of his today, which is great. Um, and I said, look, I can't go there because many years prior, I'd walked into an AA meeting once younger. It's a younger person, and I saw God written all over the banners, and I said, well, I can't, I can't do it. And this explained to me it's a spiritual program. Um, there's no religion. You're allowed to believe in the God of your own understanding and just give it a go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so you went along? Yeah, so I went to a meeting. Um, I remember standing out front of the meeting, you know, saying, should I go in, shouldn't I? You know, and I eventually went in, sat down, listened. I uh, could identify with everybody in there, and I realised, man, I'm an alcoholic. So I did what they suggested and basically I'd done the 12 steps, which they said were spiritual principles and, and I applied them to my life and all of a sudden I was praying, I was talking to God um, and it was, like, it was like a wall came up between me and the drink. It was like almost I couldn't drink anymore, like something was physically stopping me from drinking. Um, and I believed in, 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 in God. I read the big book and there was God written right through it and the founders. So why did, why did you now read the big book? Why did you read the Bible? I wanted to know where these spiritual principles come from, right? I said, they're, they're talking about these principles. They work. They honestly work. Where do they come from? I did a bit of research and found out that the 12-step the principles come from the Bible. Um, did that, su that surprise you? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It surprised me big time because <laughs> what I put it down to was like, you know, a first century Palestinian Jew that was a carpenter you know, said something 2,000 years ago and today I'm now sober, you know, like that, that's basically how I put it and I thought how does that work, you know, and all these other people are sober and it's coming from his teachings and I thought the Bible was worth purchasing and, yeah. and reading. So you bought a Bible? Yes, I bought a Bible, it was a strange way that I ended up buying it, but <laughs> I, I did buy it, I won't go into that because yeah, it goes a bit too long, but I, I, I bought a Bible, didn't read it, um, held on to it for about 12 months, um, put it away, we renovated our house. And the Bible kept coming back onto the kitchen shelf, you know, I'd be packed away, come back out again. And, and then there was an important moment in Correct. a court case. Correct. So tell us about what happened there. This is where you actually yes, started yes. reading the Bible. Yes, yes, okay. So, yeah, basically what had, what had happened was, yeah, we renovated the house. I was in a court case at the same time. And the court case um, had to do with, with two people who were very close to me. It was a sexual abuse case, actually. Um, and I was a witness. It happened many years ago. Uh, the person that was accused had, had been let off many times before. And I was working at the same time and I was taking my court clothes to work in a bag. Um, somehow with, with all the renovations going on, the, the, the Bible ended up in my bag, right? And it was getting taken to work with me. And I was undressing and dressing up for court, and the Bible's in the, in the, in the bag. I take the Bible out, kind of flicked it open a, a little bit, closed it again, and left it on, on my workbench. And um, not long after that, I got a phone call, and it was from one of my friends, and, and she was in just complete hysterics, crying on the phone. This person had uh, intimidated her, and, and, and she was just put in a very bad position, and I got extremely angry. And this case had been going on for years. 
I kind of made a decision in my head there and then that was it. I said, you know what, I've had enough of this, he's going to get away with it. It's a historical case, you've only got 10% of winning these cases. And I made a decision I was going to go there and punch his head in. That was it. I started storming out of the building. So what were you thinking when you were storming out? Um, I was thinking, well, I still have mortgage insurance if I'm in jail, so the mortgage can still get paid. Um, how long I'm probably going to go in for? Because I knew I was going to go to prison. I thought, I'll just walk over and just let him handcuff me, but at least I got him, you know? <laughs> and so that's how sure I was at the time. Maybe it might have changed by the time I get there, I don't know. But at that point in time, I was sure. Um, and I, I walked out of that uh, building and I stepped out on the street and I just remember feeling this breeze and these trees were moving and there were leaves blowing. Um, and I just noticed it was a busy street in the city and there wasn't really anybody on the street. And as I was walking up the hill in anger, there was, I just noticed this bike was chained to the tree um, and it had a sign on it and it, it had a scripture and it had, Jesus loves you, you need to read the Bible. Um, and I just stopped dead on my tracks, you know, and, and again, I almost felt something physical at the same time kind of stopping me as well. And, and, and I just remember the Bible up in, in the office and I thought it was like God was telling me, you know, you've got a choice here. You want to go that way, you want to go this way. And, and before I'd even made the decision, I was almost on autopilot, just walking back up the stairs, went back into the office, it was in a construction site, went into my work office, pulled the Bible out, flipped it open, um, and there was a passage, passage in there. And I didn't know the Bible well at all, and I, I just opened the New Testament, um, and it was Matthew 5, uh, 43, 46. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbours and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. That was the Bible, that's what it flipped open to when you... Yeah, that's what it flipped open to. So I had read writing from Jesus. I read that passage, um, and I just started praying. I started praying for the person I was angry with, the people I was angry with, and the hate and the anger just started dropping away. Um, and then I just, I just collapsed. And I, I kind of physically collapsed, and I fell on my knees. I started crying like a, like a baby and just said, God, I can't do this anymore, you know? Um, I just can't do this. Jesus... Um, help me, if you will help me, I promise you I will devote my life to following you and I will do everything that I can to bring more people to know your word, you know, and I, I said that to, to Jesus and I got up um, and I felt a peace that I hadn't felt before, you know, like it was a, it was a peace that hole that I had as a kid, uh, that hole that alcohol was filling was gone. You know, it was something was, was really resonating in me. Um, and I went through the rest of the court case, calm. You know, nothing was upsetting me. Nothing seemed to bother me. Uh, my wife was getting really annoyed with how calm I was all the time. You know, I was just, <laughs> just really, really calm. Um, and we won the case. You know, we, the, the case came on our side and we won. And, and um, that was it. That was it for me. I started to continue to read the Bible. And, yeah. So is God the only thing that could fill that hole, do you think? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Some other things might be able to fill it for a little while and not properly, you know, um, but it's not what's meant to be. It's, I believe it's the God hole that we all have and only God can fill that, you know. Now, well-known atheist speaker Matt Dillahunty is critical of the Alcoholics Anonymous because he believes that you are not powerless yeah. and our lives are not unmanageable. He asserts that we're responsible for our own actions, that we can change our minds and our behaviours and we don't need any power greater than ourselves to fix ourselves. Mm. How do you respond to Matt? I would say I think my life is pretty unmanageable. You know, I would class that as unmanageable. Um, I tried everything in my power to fix myself. I mean, the last time I drank, I, I, I made a promise to myself that I'll use every bit of my power to not get drunk. I couldn't do it. Uh, I tried to stop so many times and the only thing that would work 
was believing in a power greater than me that was God, you know, and the God of the scriptures, which the AA book says the God of the scriptures, which is the God of the Bible. Um, and it, look, the founders themselves of that program, um, they all believed in God. Um, it's, it's a Christian-based program, Christian principles. Um, God's written in there over 400 times. So if he wants to believe it's, it's not God, that's, that's his business, but he's wrong. I'll tell him that. <laughs> well, speaking of the scriptures, today's big question is, is God relevant today? And perhaps surprisingly, the Bible also offers an answer. In the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, a book written by a prophet, not the fashion brand, Ezekiel writes a prediction or prophecy about God's people, the nation of Israel, and says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So, Anthony, in what way does this passage resonate with you and your experience? Probably one thing about that passage was I had a really bad relationship with my mum. And after coming to God and coming to Christ, that changed. And my mum had actually said to my sisters, who's this kid or who's this son of mine? He's just a different person. It's like he had a heart of stone, he's torn it out. Now he wants to give me his own heart of flesh. And my mum said that to my sisters, you know. Mm-hmm. And when she said that, I just remembered this, this scripture. And, um, and it made me realise the change that God had done in my life because, because it wasn't overnight. It was a gradual sort of thing that happened with time. Um, and I couldn't really see where I'd come from. Um, but that scripture made me really realise, wow, I, I do see the world in such a different lens. And, and it was such a weird, weird feeling too, you know, it was like coming to God and coming to Christ, even though I, I was an atheist and, and, and one for, for many years, it was like once I believed in God again, it was like a part of me always knew it was true anyway, right. you know, and as well as meant to always be. Um, yeah. And the promise Ezekiel makes here is to the nation of Israel, they were to be the people of God and they'd gone wrong. Uh, They'd rejected God, had ignored him, and yet rather than simply give them a kick up the pants, Mm. uh, God promises to reform them from the inside by giving them a new heart and a new spirit, promising to make them a brand new people. Do you feel like a new person? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah? Yeah? In what ways? The many people that know me from how I was before to how I am today, um, I'm a better husband, I'm a better father, um, I'm a better friend, I'm a better son-in-law. I'm a better everything, I'm a better worker, you know. Um, I see the world today in, in a different lens, completely different lens to how I saw it before. Um, and, you know, so even just with my in-laws, you know, I've got a relationship with them. I mean, we used to fight like cat and dog and now we're actually really close. And, yeah, so I'm definitely a different person today because of God. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this has made a big difference to you, being cleansed or being this new person? Yes, yes, absolutely. Anthony, is God relevant today? Yeah, Absolutely. 100% relevant today. Yeah. yeah, and your life story in many ways is a demonstration of that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Fantastic. Well, let me leave you with the Bible's answer to the big question, is God relevant today? Ezekiel 36:26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Please thank our guest today, Anthony B. Thanks for listening to Bigger Questions. If you want to be part of the live audience or subscribe to the podcast, go to biggerquestions.org.